fly around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttermilk biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop 'em black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that mountain south Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Umami, U-M-A-M-I. That's the word of the day today. It is a word that describes a specific savory taste that is unlike any other taste. It is one of the core fifth tastes, including sweet, sour, bitter, and salty. And umami means essence of deliciousness in Japanese. Its taste is often described as a meaty, savory deliciousness that deepens flavor. Today, we are setting the table with a good old-fashioned morel mushroom foraging expedition in search of a wild food that delivers that umami taste. My guests are Chris Berger of Blue Stem Hollow in Greenback, Tennessee. Chris was kind enough to invite me on a morel hunt for this mushroom that only appears around Tennessee in a small window of time from late March through the first weeks of April every year. We'll also be joined by Chef Robert Allen today. He'll join us in the kitchen at Blue Stem Hollow and he'll share how he cooks morel mushrooms and the foods that he pairs them with. And we'll also get to hear from author Kelly Smith-Trimble. Kelly is an author, gardener, and editor living in Knoxville, Tennessee. And today, Kelly is going to talk about asparagus. Thank you so much for your great company here today. I really, really appreciate you tuning in here with us. So pull up your chair to this big Tennessee table, and let's talk about morel mushrooms. This is so fun, Chris. Thanks for taking me. Well, thanks for your interest. I'm so glad that uh, you're know, so glad you're able to come join us. So, uh, anytime they're uh, they're kind of starting to appear, it's always just sort of a beautiful spring day. You know, a cool morning, kind of just a nice time to be outside in East Tennessee. You know, Aww. and there are about three different varieties that grow around here, and. You know, the black ones come first, and the gray ones, and the yellow ones come last. One of the key words for today is microenvironment or microclimate. And this 
this is a microclimate. So basically we kind of sneak into a place like this and out here it's real dry and sunny and in here it's, you know it, we have this uh, kind of dead leaf litter we got this cool moist soil yeah and um, we're right under this this species this woodbine and morels really really like to grow in the shade of woodbine they just when when you're talking about you know the the things that grow that kind of do the cleanup work in, in, in an ecosystem, you know, bacteria and, and fungi, sort of a, you know, an ass for every saddle, uh, as they say, you know, there, for every kind of molecule in an ecosystem, there's, you know, a bacteria and a fungi specific species that develops, you know, the enzymes that break down that particular compound. And so uh, for, for morels, you're looking for specific species of plants, and those are kind of your indicators. And when you have this lovely little kind of new, real green, sort of yellow-green growth on these, on these woodbine, you can kind of peek under the, uh, you know, into the shade, and, and sometimes you'll, you know, you'll find them under the, under a, this is, I mean, it's just honeysuckle, but uh, it, it kind of comes in a few different forms. There's sort of the viney form, and then there's this sort of more shrubby kind of form, and, um, but that's where they like to be. Uh, the little gray ones, this is what we're looking for today. It's, it's, they're just tiny little gray things. And uh, they just love, they just love this woodbine, the shade of the woodbine. It looks like a little umbrella, you know, like a, like a fresh green umbrella over their little house. That's exactly how you start to see this when you are kind of putting your goggles on. When you're mushroom hunting, you say put your eyes on, you, you got to find your eyes. You know, you have to slow down slow enough to find them because, especially the little gray ones, because they're, they're so small, you sort of have to adopt this very very kind of bizarrely slow pace which is so drastically different from everyone's kind of usual day-to-day so it's kind of refreshing it's a, it's a nice change of pace we are all moving way too fast yeah yeah so it's like a it's this kind of lovely you know exercise in deceleration you know what i mean yes Fun. i do yeah so we'll we'll uh we'll just mosey and kind of peek around but, sounds good so you can kind of feel like out in the sun you know, yeah. out here, um, you know, if, if you were kind of putting your mushroom hat on, it's not really a fun mushroom place to be. But if you sort of ease on towards the creek, it just sort of gets cold, cooler and cooler and cooler. That's, you know, that's where they kind of, they, they like the, you know, they, they love the f- sort of a, a little plain that gets, that gets flood water, you know, every, every few weeks in spring. And typically after a big rain, sun comes out, that's when they sort of emerge. That's when they, you know, kind of try to, it's very interesting because you know what they're trying to do is is that you know they they have these um, they like they like it where the leaf litter is really kind of well rotted and well decomposed and they don't stay in a place very long. So when they when those floodwaters come, what they're trying to do is release a bunch of spores and send their spores downstream and reproduce somewhere else, colonize a new area. Yes. So it's an ancient ancient adaptation. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like this, this little grassy uh, sort of area and this leaf litter, this is just kind of a, you know, a real good, uh, real good place to kind of begin looking. They're kind of camouflaged just like that. You know, they Aww. they look like a like a sycamore pod or a mm-hmm. or an old, uh, you know, like a a year old. Uh, you know, walnut that's kind of started to rot that have those sort of like ridges and indentations. 
and kind of a pine cone looking thing. So they have a they have a you know an excellent camouflage system. That's why you gotta slow down slow enough to get it. You know what I mean? So if you go morel hunting, are there so there are like little progressive waves of different kinds, I guess? Right, yeah. So it, it happens over about three weeks, okay. maybe two weeks. It just depends on the rain and mm -hmm. and kind of how hot it gets and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But basically the, the black ones will come first and then the gray ones and then the yellow ones. And there's some overlap depending on the weather and where you are. Um, but around here, that's kind of, you know, basically the last week of March, um, mm -hmm. you know, to you know to about the you know about the second week of, of April you there that's all that's all you get this is just just right you know this nice rotted leaf litter not a just a little bit of sparse plant matter not a whole lot good shady place See, kind of the one of the keys is dappled sunlight you know oh. where you get little sun part of the day but it's not totally shady you still have some of that evaporative kind of action yes um, and you know and there's the Still a little bit of little bit of solar energy, kind of activating that that, uh, that movement of water. There are a few there are a few little things, kind of little cues. It the morels as they 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 kind of grow up in the same crib as the uh, as a lot of other little things in the woods, you know. Like for example, the they kind of come out right as the right as the may apples are sort of spreading their umbrella. You know what I mean? People are sort of obsessed with with time and they sort of have their own little daylight savings and you know spring brack and all, all that sort of nonsense but you know but think you know in the real world things just happen when they happen you know what i mean right about the time the trilliums start to pop up i reckon that's exactly right mm -hmm. they, that's a that's a good companion species mm -hmm. as well if you're if you see mayapple and trillium you're you're hot on the trail I think you're being nice, and I think you've probably seen one already, and you're just letting me go see it. Well, it's important. That, I mean, we could be out here all afternoon, you know, but you got to get your eyes on, you know? Eyeballs on. I know, I've got to... It's like, just fun to see you, how close you can actually get for you. Just, they're, they're just such good hiders. That's that's good. I always go with the kids, and my littlest is, is three, and she likes to find them, but she, but she needs a little help, and so we do hot or cold, you know? And she adores that. Okay, I'm going to have to ask you for a hint. Is it keep, really little? Keep going. Okay. Keep going. Just a few more feet. I see them. <laughs> I see them. Yeah, all right. Fun, huh? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Are there mushrooms that look like morels but aren't morels and will, like, really there, there, make you sick if you yeah, eat them? Yeah, there are false morels. The Morels have a... Uh, this really kind of wonderful symmetrical quality. Um, when, when we go to the kitchen, I'll show you. But when you when you slice them down the middle, they really make kind of a pure symmetry. Uh, the false ones are really they have a crumpled physiology mm. and um, a more kind of a red hue. And um, so when you cut them down the middle, they don't form sort of a true kind of symmetry. Mm -hmm. um, there are other ways to tell, but that's kind of the easiest and. Uh, and the other way to tell is is your gut. If you're not sure, don't eat it. You know. <laughs> what a concept. Yeah, yeah. There's a in the in the world of mycelium. You know, us us you know mushroom hunters. There there's a there's old mushroom hunters and there's bold mushroom hunters, but there's no old bold mushroom hunters. <laughs> I have never myself tasted one, but. 
they're supposed to taste a little fishy, like huh. when you cook them. Yeah, they're uh, they're savory. People, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of you know what I want to share mm-hmm. with you up in the kitchen is sort of that that umami characteristic, which yes. is you know kind of mysterious to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, morels are sort of this, you know, again, just sort of that real um, kind of privileged glimpse into that you know into that sort of flavor profile. So. Um, Yes. Yeah, but they are, you know, some people, like vegetarians, you know, are kind of famous for eating them instead of, um, you know, instead of meat. They have a very, very kind of a lot of umami, a lot of sort of savory kind of characteristics that you, mm-hmm. that, that sort of uh, satisfaction you get from, from meat is kind of, it, it, it'll deliver that for sure. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. Today we are setting the table with morel mushrooms and that umami flavor. Morels are a fun treat to forage in the rare window of time, annually from March through the first weeks of April here in Tennessee. My first guest has been Chris Berger, who kindly invited me to morel hunt this past week on his land, Blue Stem Hollow in Greenback, Tennessee. Up next is Chef Robert Allen, He'll cook these morels that we found, and we recorded this visit with him in the kitchen located on the farm. It's Blue Stem Hollow in Greenback, Tennessee. He'll let us know how he cooks these morels and uh, what he likes to pair these mushrooms with. So you wash them. I was wondering about that, if you wash or don't wash morels. What's your thought? (laughs) I feel like the best way is to just do it kind of gently in a pool of water. Because as you can see, for the most part, they're going to float to the top, but all of the dirt and grit and stuff that you don't want will just sink right to the bottom. So yes. you're left with the, the good stuff. And a little bit of water will help hydrate them. Oh, that's right. If they're a little dry, then they'll have the benefit of a little bit of water. Do you like cooking with morels? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'd say this area of the country is just so prime you know to be able to get these fresh right out of the the ground is just a a treat that not everybody gets to have around the country so we're definitely lucky how would you describe the taste of a morel um it is definitely one of the most earthy flavors a natural earth flavor that that you can come across and um you can kind of taste the nutrients and uh, the 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 value of all of the the vitamins that you're getting um when you're when you're eating these morels so much different than just kind of that water taste from a a white button mushroom how do you cook with morels Uh, one of the best ways to preserve kind of the natural flavor and some of that shape that we're going for is just going to be really a nice hot pan Um, we want to use a nice uh, high temperature cooking oil a nice high smoke point cooking oil Uh Uh, so we'll even go right into this cast iron that we've got here so we don't want to let this oil get all the way hot to where it's smoking because uh-huh. it'll start to get a little bit of burnt flavor. Yeah. We do want to dry these off just a touch, being very gentle, uh-huh. not to break them. So we're really going for it. It's basically a pan fry. Okay.
lot of people have a hard time not fidgeting with the pan, but it's it's really better to let them sit and really actually cook before you start moving them around. People think that you need to have a lot of action and you always jumping the pan around and moving it around, but really patience is a virtue when it comes down to it. We're talking about the umami flavor profile, and will you describe description of that flavor, would you? And that's that's kind of the um, that's the, the problem with the whole umami situation, right? Is it's it's that certain flavor that you just can't always put your um, that you can't always put your finger on, mm -hmm. and a lot of that comes from the sort of alternative cooking styles of fermentation. Um, <clears throat> And, and it's really something that your your tongue is noticing um, that you it might not be like cherries or um, you know, strawberry or something that's very easy to identify, but your body is kind of telling you this is something that um, like a mushroom or meat in particular, it could be dangerous if you're not eating the right sources. So I think personally that and this is definitely not scientific or anything of that nature but to me it's kind of putting your your mind or your body on alert that this is something that you should be careful with something that you should you know take into consideration what you're what you're eating here so you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast today we are setting the table with morel mushrooms and that unique umami flavor profile. These morel mushrooms are a special annual treat to forage in this rare window of time every year from late March through the first few weeks of April in Tennessee. I want to thank Chris Berger and Chef Robert Allen for having me on this morel hunt and cook at Blue Stem Hollow in Greenback, Tennessee. And I've placed links and pictures and the podcast of this show and ways to get in touch with each one of my guests on my website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. Up next, author, editor, and gardener Kelly Smith-Trimble. Kelly Smith-Trimble is an author, editor, writer, and gardener living in Knoxville, Tennessee, she has also been a writer and editor for Southern Living, the National Park Foundation, and Bonnie Plants. And her vegetable garden was featured in the June 2020 issue of Southern Living Magazine. And that is some serious Southern woman credibility right there to have your vegetable garden featured in Southern Living. She was born in Knoxville and has spent her life in various parts of Southern Appalachia. And today, Kelly is going to talk about asparagus. Is there another vegetable that signifies spring as much as asparagus? Peas, perhaps, but they must be sown anew every year, while perennial asparagus, once planted, chooses annually when exactly it will shoot up from the ground to herald spring is here. I, for one, can't wait for those first shoots to arrive. Since I cut back the plants late last fall, my asparagus patch sits bare outside the window of my garden shed which has also become my home office over the past year. The only color dotting the ground comes from the myriad toys my dog Rufus has dropped there. 
a red plush toy in the shape of a beet, complete with googly eyes, a little lamb, and a real elk antler he's been gnawing on for three years now. Elk are hardy animals. Asparagus is a tough creature too. It can produce in the same spot for up to 20 years. It doesn't appreciate competition, so plant it in a dedicated bed or the corner of a larger bed and keep it well weeded. Though it can be planted from seed, most gardeners opt for first or second year crowns, which are established root systems. Dig a trench and make a mound that runs down the center. Plant each crown so that its center lies on that mound and the roots fall into the sides of the trench. This prevents rot. Growing from crowns helps you get a harvest sooner, as you shouldn't harvest from plants until their third year or so. Harvest earlier than three years and you'll be limiting your patch's potential. Though by the time you do get to harvest, you'll want to pick every spear. It's best to leave some to grow. When you let asparagus be, each spear stretches into a tall and feathery, fern-like form unrecognizable to those not in the know. Female plants will carry bright red seeds, though some gardeners opt to grow hybrids bred to produce only male plants, avoiding seed production and the energy it steals away from the roots. These all-male varieties were developed at Rutgers University and carry the word Jersey in their name. I opted for the multi-gendered Martha Washington heirloom variety for my bed instead. I like the red berries and don't mind a slightly diminished spear production. In her work, My Garden Book, the writer Jamaica Kincaid describes the wonder of seeing asparagus spears pop out of the soil. Satisfaction was seeing the tips of the asparagus poke through the earth, she wrote, coming all the way up, wonderfully whole, real, and without blemish, just the way they should be, really, from the trenches in which I place their roots. Indeed, I can think of no other plant that pokes up through the soil quite like asparagus. Hostas may be, and come to think of it, I've heard that hosta shoots can be eaten and taste quite like asparagus, though I've never tried them myself. Asparagus is said to contain the elusive fifth flavor, recently added to round out sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. Say it with me, umami. To get the best umami, eat your asparagus straight from the garden. Do not pass go. Use a sharp knife to cut asparagus spears near the soil when they're about six to eight inches long. Asparagus from the store is often woody at the end, but garden fresh asparagus cut at the right time won't be. If you do harvest spears a little overgrown, you can snap off the woodier ends. Speaking of woods, way before modern foragers trekked through overgrown urban lots looking for edible plants to post on Instagram, writer and back-to-the-lander Yule Gibbons made this plant famous in his 1962 book, Stalking the Wild Asparagus. Asparagus was his first foray into foraging at 12 years old. I suppose this wild vegetable is really no better than the cultivated kind, he admitted, but because of the memories it evokes, it always tastes better to me. It is exactly the same species as the cultivated varieties. Birds long ago scattered the seeds from domestic plants, and now all over the eastern states and in irrigated sections of the west, wild asparagus grows in fence corners and hedgerows. Have asparagus will travel. 
In a different way, Asparagus has traveled with Appalachian author Barbara Kingsolver throughout her life. In the book Animal Vegetable Miracle that she wrote alongside her husband and children about their year-long project to eat locally, Kingsolver says, In my adult life, I have dug asparagus beds into the property of every house I've owned, and some I rented, even tiny urban lots and student ghettos always leaving behind a vegetable legacy waving in the wake of my Johnny Asparagus seed life. I suppose in those unsettled years, I was aspiring to a stability I couldn't yet purchase. To be sure, an established asparagus patch is quite a legacy and a home feature to be touted. When I was a student at the University of the South in Sewanee, Tennessee, An English professor of mine would invite students over to his backyard each spring to toast the arrival of the asparagus with martinis. Speaking of, I think I may spot a spear poking through the soil in my patch now. Spring is here. Bring me a martini. You just heard from author, editor, writer, and gardener Kelly Smith Trimble in her new book, is the creative vegetable gardener. I put a link in my podcast notes at tennesseefarmtable.com about Kelly. This is Coach Philip Fulmer talking today about honeybees that I raise, and then you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.